0: Hi, this is Josh Marshall and this is the Josh Marshall podcast. We don't usually talk a lot about foreign policy on this show, uh, but we're going to do it today. I think everybody has heard what has been happening, this escalation between uh, President Trump and the White House and Iran. obviously. The United States has had fairly troubled relationships with Iran for almost four—I guess, actually, literally 40 years now. It's uh, dating myself here a little bit. Um, and there have been many ups and downs, mainly downs. But we're clearly in a down. We are uh, joined today by Laura Rosen, who writes for Al Monitor, um, which is a which is a publication that focuses in a lot of. Uh, country areas in the, in in the greater middle east uh so she's a real expert on this and can and not just the area but the pentagon side and everything so this is a a real treat. Uh, before we get to Laura, let me remind you uh, just really quickly. The Josh Marshall podcast is is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. The climate is warming up. The political climate is boiling over. Yep, it's sure getting hot here, but Grady's Cold Brew can help you cool things down this summer. Order online and get their famous New Orleans-style ice coffee delivered straight to your door. Just add water to their all-in-one kit and get 36 servings of cold brew for less than a buck a cup. Grady's End up saving you a ton of money, but also a ton of time. No need to wait in coffee shop lines because Grady dispenses directly from your fridge, already cold and completely customizable for your perfect cup. Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2011. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at grady'scoldbrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. Laura. Hi, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, I really appreciate it. Just in terms of publicity, for people who don't know about it, what is Al Monitor, the publication?
1: So it's a publication, as you said, that specializes on the Middle East. And originally it was um, translating a lot of uh, reporting from the Middle East into English, and then they've hired a bunch of people in all the countries, um, including in, in the U.S., um, to try to cover foreign policy towards each other.
0: And it's and 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 basically, there's sort of like a a kind of like a lead for each country or each sort of sub region, right like a lead person who kind of owns that beat
1: Well, we have different uh you know full time people in right. like Turkey and Iran and Israel um and Iraq, and then a few of us in Washington covering the different agencies. I'm usually trying to cover state department roughly out towards the Middle East and then. With a colleague uh, on vacation, was trying to double up today on the Pentagon uh, announcing some news on um, forest protection uh, regarding Iran.
0: Okay, so we, we have some we have some news that 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 just came out shortly before we are recording this podcast, which is which is Friday afternoon. But I want to back up first. Tell us. I think most of our listeners know about the the Iran nuclear deal that that happened in the late Obama administration. You probably know that uh, President Trump uh, withdrew from that deal, but the, but Iran and uh, a number of the other global powers decided on kind of a contingent basis to sort of you know pretend that didn't happen and let's kind of keep going with the deal. And yet, and and and. The United States has been trying to escalate the pressure on Iran, uh, with the idea that that you know they'll they'll want to uh, give the U.S. A, b- a better deal or something like that. But but tell us, let's go back about six months and give us the backstory of this current escalation. What has been what has been going on in terms of the squeeze that the U.S. has been putting on Iran, and whatever Iran is doing in in response. In response.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so you're right. About a year ago, Trump decided to to leave uh, the Iran nuclear deal, and um, and said, that, you know, we're going to be winding down. Um, We're giving, like, a a period for all the other countries to get in line with the sanctions we're going to reimpose. And in November, um, U.S. sanctions on Iran's oil and banking sector went into effect. But it was right around the midterms, and Trump didn't want to have gas prices spike. So he gave waivers to eight countries to continue uh, importing Iranian oil, including its, its largest consumers, like China and India, So, you know, Iran was able to sort of weather the storm. And uh, while um, the U.S.'s allies in Europe are staying in the deal, as you said, their companies don't want to do business with Iran if they want to stay in good graces with the U.S. financial market. So you've seen kind of the fleeing of of corporations um, from Iran's, Um, economy. um, But Iran was still able to sell, I don't know if it was a million or a million and a half barrels of oil a day. So it was kind of inching along. Then uh, in late April, the the administration was very sensitive um, to a lot of the Obama people and others in Europe telling them, um, look, you're not going to get maximum pressure with U.S. unilateral sanctions. The rest of the world basically isn't with you on this because Iran is still complying with this nuclear deal. It's not perfect, but, you know, they're complying with it, and it's better than the alternative. Right. So in late April, so the administration kept trying to show, like, look, we're having an impact. We're really hurting Iran. They're, um, they're going to buckle any day now. And so they announced that they're not going to renew those eight waivers um, for the customers to buy Iranian oil anymore and they said, you know, we're going to take it to zero. So really, like May 2nd, May 3rd, it's amazing how quickly all of this happened, but um, they, you know, China, India, Turkey, um, uh, Greece, uh, South Korea, and Japan had to stop buying Iranian oil, um, and you started to see reports that um, Iran was – Uh, either there was more chatter that Iran would retaliate against what they saw as potential U.S. escalation. And you started to hear murmurs that, you know, if Iran can't sell oil, they were going to possibly make it difficult for some of their regional rivals uh, to export their oil.
0: Now, let me ask you this. Do you have a sense, because I think that, you know, for all these conversations in the United States, the Iraq war is, uh, is the... For better or worse, an inevitable backdrop. Obviously, Iran is a very different country from Iraq. But in terms of, you know, believing what the United States is saying, what obviously, you know, all of all of the things that grew out of the uh, Iraq War, I, I think there has been a general sense, and there's been some people piping up in Europe. Even I think there there was there's that uh, general officer uh, from the UK that you flagged. There's been a number of people in the U.S. and out of the U.S. saying, we don't really buy this line that, that you know, new intelligence, that Iran is, is doing this or that. What is your general sense of where the truth is on that front?
1: Right, that's a great question. And, you know, partly it's because, you know, one of the main messengers for the administration on the alleged Iran threat, you know, is John Bolton, who was in the Bush administration, you know, Uber Hawk, and and, um, someone who still, you know, thinks the Iraq war was a good thing. And so, you know, in terms of credibility as a messenger, um, he's not the ideal voice. And and there's also been this dynamic in Washington where we haven't had a Secretary of Defense since Mattis left in the beginning of the year, um, acting... Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan, who came out of Boeing, finally got nominated, I think, just a week ago, Um, but he's still acting, and he's not been confirmed, and he's someone who comes out of, you know, the industry, not someone like Mattis, who has years and years of, um, you know, warfighting experience in the region, so he doesn't seem to have as much bureaucratic infighting um, prowess as, as Bolton, on the one hand, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo who's both a hawk on Iran and, uh, and very, very close with Trump. So you've had this kind of thing where the, where the biggest agency that's really reluctant to get dragged into another unnecessary conflict, um, the Pentagon, is...
2: Uh, semi the But they top to push back, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And
1: then... And, uh, and so Bolton was the person who came out on a Sunday night, I think May 3rd or so, was the one saying, you know, we're um, deploying an aircraft carrier to the region because of an Iranian threat. And then there was kind of the shuffling going on where people were asking the Pentagon what threat. And after a few weeks, um, I think what the Pentagon said today in an on-record, off-camera briefing was that there, was, there were uh, four ships in the UAE port. Um, that got damaged, and they believe the Pentagon believes they say now that the international, the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps, was responsible for damaging those those ships. Um, in and terms th- this of alleged, is,
0: is this like kind of low-level sabotage kind of thing? Or yes, they,
1: okay. yes, and it's it's in the line of uh, if we can't sell our oil, right? You're going to have trouble. And uh, and then there were also rep- reports that. Um, The U.S. was seeing perhaps increased chatter of Iranian-backed militias in Iraq, potentially being in more aggressive postures against U.S. forces in Iraq. What I think's emerged in the past couple weeks is that each side thought the other one might attack them. And they were doing preparations to potentially respond. I think that's how that's shaken out.
0: Now, isn't it, I mean, I remember when I saw these headlines, and there was, I I think this started in a Wall Street Journal article that kind of, you know, put that, uh, put out there that idea that both sides were sort of, you know, kind of misinterpreting each other's signals. And when I read that, um, and I come to this only with sort of the general knowledge of the topic, my sense was, you know, I was worried the U.S. was going to attack Iran, so you know that it didn't seem like a, a, you know a completely crazy idea. The, the 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 we 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 often lose track in 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 the United States that these sort of uh, economic you know basically economic blockades in f you know in effect are very fairly interpreted as acts of war, right? I mean, you're cutting off in a, a country's ability to survive economically. Um, it, it is. Is your sense that there was some of that, too, that there was some legitimate sort of, you know, mutual, uh, you know, mutual misunderstanding, mutual, um, you know, kind of yeah, misinterpretation I mean, of signals?
1: Yes. And, and And yes. And then I think Trump is the one... Ironically, who several times now has made clear that um, he doesn't want a war, and that this is so. You know, whatever Bolton may or may, you know, whatever Bolton's motives may be, be, maybe maybe it's force protection, maybe maybe it's how you interpret the intelligence. And you, be honest, differences of opinion of what's uh, reacting to reacting to U.S. moves or vice versa. Um, But Trump said several times that you know he and he's kind of pulled the plug out of the sense that this is really escalating very quickly, Mm -hmm. Then you know, he wants to talk with Iran, call me. Um, (laughs) You know, yesterday when there was this pre-chatter of CENTCOM having asked the Pentagon for up to 10,000 troops to do force protection in the region, Trump said, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. I don't think we need it. Um, But he doesn't, you know, he's been careful also to say, if they attack us, if they attack U.S. U.S. troops or you know, facilities in the region, then, of course, we'd respond. Because you don't want to tell them there's not going to be right. a cost. And he also, so I, you know, yeah. yeah. And my understanding from the Iranians and, and uh, you know, I saw Zarif, the Iranian foreign minister, when he was in New York a couple months ago, um, and, and then just reading a lot of public comments on Twitter, on the press. Since then, um, is that they, they get that Trump is not aggressive and doesn't want to war with them but right. they are very worried about the people around him and it's very hard for them to think how are we going to get to talks with Trump. Right. If you have Bol- Bolton there right. and and Pompeo and they're not they're not um, you know conducive basically to get engagement going. <laughs> you remember from Obama time right. how many years it took to get to talk.
0: Well, let me let me ask a bunch of questions I have. One question I have there is 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 at some level my impression is that Trump hated the original Iran deal because Obama did it, and that he probably had very little understanding of what was actually included in the deal, the um, you know different equities that were being balanced, uh, you know all the stuff that those of us who were following it at the time knew about, and uh, that he really thinks you know we'll squeeze them for a while. And then we'll make a deal. And at some level, I, you know, very hard to understand how this guy's mind works exactly. And obviously, there's all sorts of different. You know, sometimes he's going on Twitter and, and basically saying he'll commit genocide against Iran. He'll like to, you know do the end the country. Um, I, I, I would think from the the. My sense is is that. Trump doesn't have a sense that there was indeed maximal pressure during the second Obama administration and that this was the deal they came up with. So I don't even know exactly, right. you know, Exactly.
1: It, I mean, yeah. it's, it's you know, he's given so many signals including you've seen like these comments of his that he's obsessed with John Kerry. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and it seems like it's been it's been filtered through it seems like the Fox News machine or something right. That, right. that that John John Kerry's telling them not to talk to him and I I I find that incredibly hard to believe, because if the Iran deal is your baby, as, as for Kerry, right. you know, you, he would consider it to be, you know, the best thing in the world would be for, for right. the Iranians to talk to Trump, because, right, like you want Trump invested in this, and you don't, if you're Kerry, you don't care what they, what Trump calls it, right? right. You want some iteration of it to survive, not just for pride or ownership, but Well, because you but, thought it was important um, in, in the first the place. Right, and the alternative is so bad, and what was so interesting in the past few weeks is when you see that you know, U.S. maximum pressure is leading to some kind of uh, Iran saying we can't, we can't go on like this. We, you know, we're going to have to get some leverage um, either on the nuclear side or um, with, through our proxies. Um, we're not going to go – they're not going to come to the table, you know, defeated, right? Right, right. Um, and so you, you can see them kind of trying to figure – calculate where they can get leverage um, – you know, if Trump's reelected they may have to talk to him. Right. I think they're I think they've started to see after the Mueller report, they can't you know, all these democratic presidential candidates say, We'd love to go back into the deal, but the Iranians when Zarif was in New York said, We don't know what's gonna happen in twenty right. twenty. Right. So yeah. anyhow, I think they, they need more leverage to potentially have to talk to the US at some point. Um, I do think Trump would like to do it and he doesn't have the people around him to get him there. Right. And you can and uh, um you know, I don't know how, uh, you know, I don't know who can tell Trump you need a different kind of person. You know, he got this all-male Khalilzad, an experienced Republican diplomat, to do the Afghanistan stuff because Trump wants to get out of Afghanistan. Right. And so uh, Khalilzad's talking to the Taliban, right? It's public. They, you know, he announces it when he goes to see if they can get some kind of accommodation. And I think, I don't know who can tell Trump and reach him that he needs somebody like that on this file. Um,
0: let me, let me yeah, ask you Yeah, because it's complicated, yeah. yeah. Well, so, okay, I have one very kind of specific and mundane question, then I want to get to these, you know, dig deeper on these kind of broader issues. Over the last, I mean, maybe going back, I guess, decades now, but particularly over the last six or seven years, you have this kind of semi-recurrent issue where... You have these uh, Iranian patrol boats, which are which are often quite small, and they'll kind of buzz up against, um, you know, big you up, uh, not necessarily capital ships, but you know, big. Uh, but that's threatening for all sorts of reasons, and and that's kind of a way that, that's kind of a way that you know the Iranian show. You know, don't forget us; we're here. We can do stuff too, and it's and and there's that's kind of the tit for tat that they that they play, is is. Is that going, has that stuff been going on too with this kind of, you know? So, my
1: understanding is that actually stopped um, about, I don't know if it's a year and a half or a year ago, but that buzzing or whatever you call it, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think they called it swarming, like that stopped for over a year. And a lot of it, you know, look, you know, Flynn. The former national security advisor for Trump, who was there just a few weeks, then, you know, one of his first press conferences came out and said, like, Iran's on notice. And right. um, they were looking for ways they could push back against Iran in the region and demonstrate that they were going to be tougher than Obama on this stuff. And, and you know, um, Yemen, they were looking for places they could do it. It turns out it's very, very complicated in lots of places to push back. Right. Um, So, but that, and and in addition, so you'll remember during the Iraq War, back in the Bush administration, um, um, there were Iranian backed militias that were planting IEDs that were killing U.S. troops. And they recently came out with a number um, that it's about 600 U.S. troops that they attribute having been killed from Iranian backed IEDs. Um, But I understand from the former. counter-ISIS official Brett McGurk, um, told me that the that activity stopped in 2011. So the U.S. and Iran have been in Iraq at the same time that, since 2014, fighting ISIS right. separately par- right. in parallel, without bes- bothering each other, without a lot of threatening and, and things between. And and that's what seems to be in danger now. Wasn't that. there
0: wasn't there at least a, a a window of time where, like, neither side had much interest in discussing it, but where they weren't just fighting ISIS separately, um, you know, at the same time, but there was, you know, kind of some level of tacit coordination, if not between the U.S., at least between, like, our Iraqi proxies and the Iranians. I don't know
1: exactly the level of coordination, but it seemed like there was a lot of comfort level. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't like the U.S. was providing air cover. Right,
2: right, right. Right.
1: right. Um, And in Syria, they haven't, you know, you haven't seen um, Iranian-backed, um, threats to the US forces that remain there fighting ISIS as well, even though they're very closely allied with the Assad government. Right. And and obviously the US is is not. It's kind of now, here, sitting another, in the northeast.
2: Here,
0: here's another question about, about sanctions. One of the premises that I understood during the uh, neg- you know, the the Obama negotiations for what turned out to be the Iran nuclear deal was that You know, this was this was the deal that the global powers together agreed on, and the U.S. alone simply did not have the ability to have sanctions to be tight enough to, you know, bring this deal about. That we needed, we needed Europe, we needed, you know, we needed China, we needed Russia to kind of all be doing this in concert. Now it seemed, but it seems like. what the Trump administration has done on its own has been just just recently with with has been pretty effective. as – has as if not brought you know not brought them to their knees, at least brought it to a crisis. So how was I misunderstanding or the walk us through? No, I mean yeah. it's
1: a good question. I think you know, look the so the waiver cutoff was just this month. And so, a lot of the countries, like I think you've seen India and China, um, say like we're not buying oil this month. But watch for attrition. You know, the, the, you know, it lets Trump claim victory, the administration claim victory on cutting, bringing it to zero. Right. But watch to see if there's some attrition in the next few months. The other thing is, you know, I, I don't know world financial stuff that well. But, but you know, China may be able to set up some mechanism that's not, some company that's not exposed to U.S. financial market. Or right. some of the big purchasers could set, set up something that they're, you want to sanction us, you know, to not be able to be part of the U.S. financial market. Fine. So I, I would think over time, and especially if there is some, in, you know, in the Gulf where oil prices spike up. Right. And you also might see Trump become sensitive to Spike in oil prices if something happens.
0: Well, that is interesting, and I'm sure this was I just hadn't come across my my uh, transom. The point that that in a very specific sense last year they're cracking down in Iran, but they don't want to take, you know kind of cross wires at all with 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 the with the midterm election. So they kind of you know.
1: Uh, it was do, Trump. Do, I don't yeah. think it was his administration. I think it was him at the last minute. Right. Right. Well, that makes. I mean, it, it,
0: it's funny because because. The the niceties of of uh, you know the the Persian Gulf and all the different uh, you know kind of great power and regional power rivalries there, those I expect Trump to have a very you know limited and perhaps cartoonish understanding of, but I expect him to really get the critical importance of gas prices in in American domestic politics. So that totally okay, makes you sense it, to me. You
1: see- Tweet like I'm I'm calling the Saudi King and telling him to right. pump more oil you know I you know I'm calling OPEC and they're gonna right. um, you know pump more oil and so you know we'll see like this I don't you know Saudis want maybe oil at eighty dollars a barrel you know we'll see right. how and and the Russian I mean the funny thing is uh, you know the Russians are the ones who are picking up a lot of these um, contracts that right. Iran's being cut out of so
0: so let me ask let me ask you this to the extent that we can. Understand this. You you have mentioned obviously uh, uh, following the, uh, the, the the press and public statements, also uh, you know interviewing Iranian leaders and you know all that kind of you know immersion in that in that conversation. To the extent we can know it, what how would you describe what they make of Donald Trump?
1: Oh my goodness. Um... I, I did get the sense that they have a sense that he is someone who's not interested in a big war in the Middle East. They they take him at his word that uh, when he complains about the trillions of dollars the U.S. has spent in the Middle East and only gotten an instability, right. they understand that. But they they do see that he's surrounded by people um, uh, who they think are obstructing his ability to uh, make better decisions. I guess right. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, I could see them working, you've seen French President Macron made a big effort to try to kind of whisper to Trump for his first year, and then he kind of gave up. Right. Um, right. But I could see, you know, Macron said, I've seen the French said that uh, at the last U.N. General Assembly in September, October, uh, Macron was meeting with Trump in New York and said, look, I'm going to go see the Iranian President Rouhani next, do you want me to tell him anything? And um, Trump's like, no, they need to suffer first, you know, then I'll talk to them. (laughs) And so I would not be super surprised if Trump may have in his head that at the next angle, he's like, you know, they've been under tough sanctions for a year, and um, when Macron or somebody else offers him... Um, what can I what can I tell them that he might tell them he's ready to talk? Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the Iranians can reciprocate. We saw when um, there was more pragmatism between Obama and the Rouhani administration that um, Rouhani didn't seem to feel he had the leash from uh, Iranian Supreme Leader Khamenei to meet with Obama.
0: Right. Up right. There. Yeah. So is, is there? Um, and it's 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 funny. I I. I I'm fascinated, curious to think, you know, what they make of the North Korea, uh, you know, sort of you know, not timeline. Yeah, exactly. Because, because on the one hand, he's he's you know kind of dramatically escalating, um, making these incredible bellicose remarks. Then he not only switches to negotiation, but he.
1: <laughs> right, know, no, they, I think they think they could get a much right. They see that. Yeah, they, they could like, to, like take him to Trump's the cleaners maybe so if they in...
0: play their cards right or something. Like that.
1: Right. Right. No, and, and I'm sure that you know, Trump's allies like, Netanyahu and others are terrified. Right. If they actually ever get in the room, but right. He's, he's, he doesn't care about the details, and he's going to consider it a huge triumph that they met with him. But um, 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 look. They see it as Kim Jong Un having felt validated by sitting with Trump. Like it, hel- it helps Kim Jong Un domestically and in the region. He looks like a big guy, and, yeah. and Trump treats him like a, you know, legitimate foreign leader. Um, and the Iranians don't come from that. Like it doesn't. No one's. Rouhani's not going to look better in Iran for sitting down with Trump. Right. Um, there's also their, the domestic context for them doing that is much harder, right. um, especially with with, you know, getting it rubbed in their face that it's because they've been complying with the nuclear deal all this time and, you know, having their economy ruined right, by right. the United States, right? So, so you know, it's, it's hard for them. Um, and also just, you know, the whole fact that the U.S. left a deal that you, Iran was... A lot of people didn't think Iran was going to comply. They have right. complied, the IA said, you know, for years, three years. And uh, so it's hard for them now to trust You know, if you make a deal with the United States, is the next guy or woman going to toss it out for their own domestic partisan reasons?
0: Well, and I I, I would imagine, I mean, there were there were lots of voices in Iran, even, you know, kind of the supreme leader's position was kind of ambiguous, who never thought that deal was a good idea in the first place, or never, you can't trust the United States, you know, all these different kind of right. things. No, so I, I would imagine right. this experience I is, mean, like, he, vastly empowered. The Supreme Leader them.
1: must be saying, I, I told you so, right? You can never make a deal with the U.S., and you can't trust them, and, and it, it's really hurt Um, the people from that system, like Zarif and Rouhani, who said, like, you know, made a bet on engagement. Um, And, you know, we may pay the consequences right after our next presidential elections. Iran has presidential elections uh, a few months later, and, you know, the U.S. may not be happy with who comes in. I will say this administration uh, is very derisive of the uh, of defining Zarif and Rouhani as as being moderate or pragmatic. And they, um, you know, really seem kind of invested in regime change and talking to kind of exiles who are telling them that whoever comes after is going to be a whole lot better. People I know on the Iran side think that's unrealistic, even though a lot of Iranians are unhappy with the regime. Um, It's not likely to be... um, you know, a super pro West, pro Israel right. whatever the fantasy is. And you, you remember from the Iraq time though. Yeah, totally. And, of
2: course, of course. So
1: I do worry that they've so um are so derisive of how much easier it is to work with Zarif and Rouhani um on a deal than with the with the hardliners who are have no interest in the deal and are gonna lecture lecture them for, you know, a long time about Hiroshima and all that.
0: Right, right. So w- what is the so t- tell us what was just announced today with this with this uh significant but but far less than had been advertised a couple weeks ago uh sending a uh, sending some troops to the to the gulf what what was what was that
1: so this was 1500 troops they said were the white house signed off on um Um, what's going is a Patriot battery. They didn't announce the location where the troops and the battery were going, but the people I talked to said it might be U.S. bases in Qatar, Bahrain, and UAE. Um, And there would also go some i guess it's isr aircraft this can they can do reconnaissance to see what 's around u s bases to look for threats it 's like an engineering element, So this is all defensive stuff right. so they can see you know are the Iranians dropping mines in the Gulf or you know are they moving proxies moving around our bases in the region? This is not the preparation this is not what would look like preparation if you were planning some kind of assault
0: right and on it, Iran. And, it, and it also sounds like this is the these are the kind of incremental, non-footprint changing things that a country like the United States can do to kind of say, we're doing something, and yet it doesn't, you know, there's no new footprint on the ground, there's no deployment closer to Iranian soil, that it's that it's a way to kind of say, we did something, but not do much that really... Changes I think the this equation. is so
1: that you're you don't have you 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 see in advance if you're about to get hit, right? So I, mean, right. I think this is to avoid a kind of this is this is not a. An, uh, Going big to, you know, to, to get hurt, this is, this is to try to avoid. Um, and it sounds like, you know, since the numbers we saw yesterday, the day before, were um, that CENTCOM might be asking for as many as 10,000, it seems like the kibosh on that was from the White House. and right. Presumably from Trump, who you've seen has, um, is eager to say that he's bringing the troops home.
0: Right. So right.
1: I think that he's the restraint.
0: Yeah, which is a scary thought in itself. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. but tr- But but um, and it's 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 well, it's 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 a weird situation. Let's put it that way. But so tell me we us- also, I don't yeah.
1: know, I don't know if you saw today, but there were also reports the past couple of days that the White House was going to bypass Congress and. Um, cite some provision that um, that uh, emergency measure that they have to rush arms to Saudi Arabia and the UAE without congressional review and, and uh, Senator Menendez um, put out a statement this morning saying that they've done, they formally notified Congress they're going to do that so um,
0: yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's also I guess on those things too it's very hard it, well from from where I sit at least it's hard to distinguish that. There's, there's obviously the the hard national security, foreign policy dimension of that, that obviously those are, you know, sort of the frontline states vis-a-vis Iran. They have this, this whole regional, you know, uh, uh, Cold War, you know, regional right, 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 Cold right, yeah. War going on, blah, 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 blah. blah. You've also got uh, these very close relationships between the Trump family and those two royal families and sort of like, you know, which of these... Which of these is 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 going on? Let me let me ask you. Let me conclude on this, Laura. Um, what is the what do you see as the like what what things should which, should we be looking for next? Like what's the what could be the timeline over the next few weeks, couple months? In the sense of does have both sides kind of said okay we, that that got a little out of hand. Let's kind of. Ramp it down, or like, what are the next steps? What should we, what should
1: we be looking for? No, it's really good. So one thing is, you know, Trump, I think, had said that he expects to see Putin at the G20 meeting at the end of June, and you saw that after they spoke a couple weeks back on the phone. Trump kind of changed his tune about Venezuela. remember before the administration was all going to do regime change there. And um, he kind of was like, oh, we're going to do humanitarian aid and the Russians aren't doing anything there. So I would be interested. Look, you know, Russia's benefiting in some ways from this standoff, but they don't want to see U.S. military uh, confrontation in Iran. um, And, you know, they um, may be able to talk some sense into Trump about quieting this down a little bit. Right. So I, I would watch for that, and in terms of signaling, also if um, if Trump mess- messaging changes, also if you see, um, you know, possible channels. We've seen the Omanis um, send their foreign minister to Iran. I mm-hmm. would expect there's some third-country uh, diplomacy or mediation going, maybe with an eye to. Um, if they could get a trump Rouhani meeting possibly at the U.N. or some right. U.N. city. Right. Um, I would look, and then the other thing might be um, a prisoner swap. If you saw a gesture from the Iranians um, to try to get Trump's attention and build goodwill. We saw that from the North Koreans. They released some American prisoners um, before um, Trump and, and Kim Jong-un started negotiations. So right. maybe the Iranians will get smart and, and release some of the Americans being held.
0: So is is there let me, final question? You mentioned before that that th- these waivers for uh, oil purchases had been you know uh, withdrawn, and that was a serious cutoff for the Iranians. If if that persists, it sounds like that they that like the Iranians need something to change. That that is not, you know, that that is a. A, That's
1: not sustainable. Yeah, not sustainable.
0: So, is that does that place some sort of time limits on this? That yeah, they Yeah, you know, so yeah. they
1: so what they did is, you know, they told their, the, you know, it used to be the P five plus one, now we call it the P four plus one. The like countries in the deal, besides except for the United States, um, they notified them formally in May. The Iranians did um, that. They're gonna um, not. Uh, observe a couple small provisions in the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. Um, in 60 days, if they don't figure out how to get them some economic relief that they were owed under the deal, so the Europeans are scrambling. You know, it would. You know, I don't know what mechanisms they can come up with um, to see if Iran can get some more economic relief maybe they can put their i don't know if they can sell, move the oil and put the money in escrow somewhere right you know what i mean not yep. not not give it to them yet i don't know what what contraption they can come up with um, to try to keep iran uh, within the deal
0: and and so the, the idea there is iran basically said like we we you know sort of we are now within For our rights year. To, yeah, to be to be outside the deal, but we're not going to do mu- do too much. And they're trying to, so ba- basically trying to get the trying to get the Europeans, the other great powers in that in that in that group, to take some of the pressure off.
1: Right, right. right.
2: Got so, it. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, and in fact, I mean it's technical, and I don't understand everything, but the two provisions that the Iranians said they're going to cheat on, basically, um, in a minor way, are the ones that the U.S. revoked waivers on in May, right? So they used to ship out their low-enriched uranium to Oman to, to keep their stockpile below 300 kilograms, which is very little. Right. And the U.S. said, oh, we're pulling – we're going to sanction that now if you do it. So, so they're <laughs> – there, do you understand? So it's very clever, and I'm sure it the, you know, makes the Europeans scream at the Americans. Um, you know, it's hard to describe the level of bitterness of European powers, especially against the United States, which you know didn't consult them before the U.S. said they're withdrawing from Syria, which pulled out of the nuclear deal, you know, and, and uh, threatening their security um, potentially with the jeopardization of this deal, and now with possible escalation, they don't want to see another. War in the Middle East right. um, So they're extremely frustrated with the Trump administration.
0: And I would seem I, I would think too that, that uh, we know that the, the basically state collapse in Libya and Syria has had profound a profound impact in Europe in the refugee crisis, Refugees. which exactly. all these kind of things. and so that's, I, I would think that that is a must be a backdrop exactly. for Europe as well.
1: And you saw one of the Iranian negotiators, the Europeans know very well, a few weeks ago when they were announcing these nuclear measures, um, said, you know, like we have all these Afghans, I have millions of Afghan refugees in Iran, and we may have to revoke their refugee status, you know. And it was he got a lot of criticism for that from within Iran, who thought it right. was like a racist statement. But the but the message was,
0: but a clear, you know, yeah. Well, and I assume yeah. they must feel, I, I don't, I don't pretend to have any deep knowledge of the Syria situation, but obviously a great, many of the refugees came from Syria and, and, and Iran obviously has a huge footprint within Syria and, you know, there's all sorts of things back and forth there. Uh,
1: They know what the Europeans care about. Yeah,
0: Yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, Laura, thank you so much. Um, Thank you. It's been too long uh, since we talked and it's, it's great to, uh, Great to hear your voice and great to have your expertise. Um, And thank Thank you you so so much. much. And tell us, uh, just briefly again, tell us about um, Al Monitor and like where people can find it online and all that kind of stuff.
1: Sure. www.al-monitor.com and... Um go look. I'm in the Washington section. you'll see go into our Iran section, our Israel section, Turkey. We have really great kind of granular reporting from the region. We try to cover u s foreign policy out towards the region in a really granular way. a lot of the lobbying as well, so would love it if you come visit
0: Got it all right, Laura, thank you so much thank you okay great i i, I um you know uh, i've I've known Laura for got uh, you know uh fifteen Going on, going on twenty years, um, and she's an incredibly knowledgeable source on a lot of issues, but particularly this—the uh, you know the the Middle East, particularly Iran, the Gulf, and uh, the state—you know how the U.S. State Department, the Pentagon, that whole kind of series of things—and you you could um, you could uh, hear over the course of our conversation, you know. Laura is 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 talking on an ongoing basis and has been for years to all the key players in this kind of broad uh, multinational conversation, the diplomats from Iran, the diplomats from the United States, the State Department, Pentagon. So she's just a great source of information. I I hope we can have her back. Uh, A little business uh, that we have to do uh, before the end of the episode. Uh, The way we pay for everything TPM does is through memberships. I've told you this before, I'm telling you it again. Becoming a member means you get extra stories that we write, you get fewer ads on the site. You get to post on a special member forum, The Hive, and you get a bunch of other good stuff. But it also means you support our journalism and you support this co- podcast because TPM Media, the company, is what makes this podcast. And, 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 and that's where we get our, that's how we thrive is, is that we have memberships and it's really, really critical. And we have a special offer just for podcast listeners, 20% off a TPM prime membership to get that offer. Go to talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal. That's talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal 20% off. Totally awesome please give it a try. Um, You'll really enjoy it and you will make what we're doing here possible. Remember too that the Josh Marshall Podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee which is the most amazing ice coffee in the world. Cold brewed and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Talk to you next week.